All right. This is an interview I conducted with Frank Nora back in June of 2020, as I was still trying to figure out what this podcast might sound like. Frank and I briefly crossed paths at KU, but very quickly hit it off. I'll read a little bit of his bio for you. Frank Nara is a Kansas-based Michigan composer, guitarist, and producer. His musical style is inspired by Kid Cudi, Julia Wolf, Meshuggah, Julius Eastman, Tool, Steve Martlin, and Prince. Frank has taken to the stage across the country as a guitarist, bassist, and singer, performing in a multitude of genres from classical to hip-hop to metal. His original music has been performed around the world, including Chicago, New York, Kansas City, Hong Kong, Croatia, and Canada. He has earned a reputation for writing music that is accessible while being challenging enough to provide audiences with a fresh and exciting experience. As you'll hear in the interview, Frank is not necessarily a composer who writes music often meant to evoke a particular aspect of nature, say, in the way that Adams or Burtner do, but place still exists in his music, and we spent a lot of time in this interview talking about some of our upbringings, uh, some of the various privileges that has afforded us, and the dichotomy between nature versus nurture. We also talked about a piece he's writing for me, fellow percussionist Lauren Malloy, and his ensemble, Nebular Blue. It's a piece for an Earth Day-themed concert that I've been working on for a while now, and we were supposed to present it earlier this year, uh, but for obvious reasons it had to be canceled. So I've been using this time to try and make this event more impactful and more inclusive, and we'll hopefully be able to present it around Earth Day 2021, but I'll keep you posted about that for sure. I hope you dig the interview, and I encourage you to check out Frank's music. Links can be found in the description. And with that, here's my conversation with Frank Nara. Growing up in Michigan, were you at all aware of your relationship to your surroundings? Um, I grew up in a city. You know, I grew up in the second biggest city in Michigan, Grand Rapids, Michigan. And, you know, when you ask that question, my first thought is no. <laughs> but, um, you know, the reality is looking back, um, you know, when you ask me that question, I, all of a sudden, I, no, no pun intended, things come flooding in, like memories of the Grand River, which is the river that sort of runs through the city I grew up in. And some of my, my most fun and earliest memories are riding my bike, you know, three blocks down to Riverside Park, which was right on the river. And I would, you know, we would fish. In, in the creeks there and my dad fishes in the river there. And um, so that certainly was something that I took for granted because it was just there. I mean, it was literally three blocks from my home, this huge, huge river. Um, and, you know, I would go out into the, the little ponds there where people would lose their discs and I'd be like, Hey, for five bucks, I'll go get your disc and made money that way. And, and, you know, I lived 40, 40 minutes or so from, Lake Michigan, which as somebody who lives in the United States, I, I, I feel, again, especially in hindsight, I feel very lucky to have grown up in a place where I can drive half hour to 45 minutes and be on a beach, not just like 
some random little lake in the middle of Missouri or Kansas or whatever, but like miles of sand and, you know, white sand and this, this lake that you cannot see across. Um, so I was aware, uh, I'm aware of those things now. Um, growing up, it was just in my backyard. You know, even my grandma's house, which was pretty close to the river, had a creek behind it because just being so close to that big river, we had a lot of bodies of water like that. And um, yeah, I took it for granted at the time. But looking back, I am more aware of of how lucky I was and how much water in particular really influenced um, just not, not necessarily influenced, but shaped my existence i know that sounds stupid water shaped my existence well yeah that's because you're an animal but (laughs) yeah no i think you're definitely i think you're onto something i think about this all the time i also i've never been to michigan i grew up in Mm -hmm. in pennsylvania um Hmm. in the time that it would take for you to get to you know the beach is the time that it takes for me to get into you know the city of philadelphia or Hmm. to the Delaware River crossing into mm. New Jersey. And growing up, we had a, a beach house in Avalon, New Jersey, which is sort of south. It's right above um, Wildwood and Cape May, but south mm. of Atlantic City. And our house was uh, on the bay, but only, you know, not like a quarter mile from the beach. So at any given point, living at this, at this house, we had access to... Um, you know, sort of both sides of the island yeah, and, and the beaches. And also, you know, I also was, you know, sort of shaped by water in, a, in, in that respect too, hmm. but not, but the access was not the same for you because we would always go, you know, during the summer. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't realize until way later, until we, you know, we eventually, you know, sold the house, how much of an impact that had in my upbringing. Um, Hmm. So it's definitely something that I think, I think, you you know, as kids, or yes, kids, you don't necessarily need to be aware of it Mm -hmm. for it to still, you know, be embedded in, in your DNA and in your, in your psyche. What you're saying is, is we're getting old. (laughs) And now we're, we're looking back on our best years. That's what you're trying to say, right? (laughs) I guess so. (laughs) <laughs> but I'm kidding, kind of. N- well, I, I don't know. I I feel old. <laughs> I'm only I'm only 27 though, so that's mm. yikes. Um, but now that you are, you know, with hindsight being what it is, able to sort of mm-hmm. look back and reflect on this relationship, are there some of these memories or experiences that sort of permeate your your music or your compositional process? Mm-hmm. Um, not it, it happens sometimes when I decide to make it happen um, for instance a year or two ago two years ago I think um, the Eastern Michigan University uh, saxophone studio commissioned me to write a piece for saxophone ensemble, like, you know, 18 saxophones, SATB. Um, And the, the city that Eastern Michigan university is in has a river going through it much like, I mean, a lot of cities do because that's, 
you know, what makes sense. Um, but they, I, I, I was thinking about, well, how can I make this somewhat of a love letter to um, the rivers in Michigan, like the one I grew up on and, and like the one that goes through their city. Um, so, so I had that in mind as I wrote the music, but I, I can't even, I can point to very few things within the music that I, that are reflective or narrative of, of water specifically, but I was thinking of it. And so I guess like you were saying, yeah, you, you know, you're not aware of it as a child, but you know, for the work that we do, the creative work that we do, you can't help. Um, and sometimes you need to look back for inspiration. And so water does play a part in that. Um, in general, I don't really reflect on my physical surroundings when writing music, not, not consciously at least. Um, I think within the past few years, I've tried to understand why I write the music that I write and why I listen to the music I listen to. Um, and I think the biggest factor is who the humans, you know, the who of who I grew up with rather than the nature or the lack thereof being a city dweller all my life. Um, and that goes a little beyond the scope of your question, but does that kind of make sense? Absolutely. So I guess this would be a good time to dig into maybe a little bit of your compositional process. Um, sure. I guess I should mention that I don't consider myself a, I guess, capital C composer. I've, hmm. you know, written, you know, very few things, but I don't necessarily, I don't write with the intent to, to, uh, to profit or shop it around. Mm -hmm. So I don't have a, I don't have a process. I have more of a uh, performer's background mm -hmm. when it comes to approaching um, my craft. And so I'm curious what the process is like. I know that it's not the sort of romanticized, uh, hunched over, hunched over by candlelight with a- You don't know, man. <laughs> you don't know what, what my office is like. Well, so, uh, so, well, then what is it like for you? Is it how solitary <laughs> or how uh, engaged um, is it with, with everyone else? I'll say this. The best pieces of music I've ever written, uh, well, not necessarily the best, but the ones that have been the mo received with the most excitement by audiences um, of lay people and, and other musicians alike. I hate saying lay people, but you know what I mean, non-musicians. Um, the most successful pieces of music I've ever written are ones that I am playing guitar or bass on with people who helped me write it. Um, for example, my trio that I'm in with, with Rachel Rule and Nathan Brown, um, we, you know, our ensemble, our trio, we're called Nebular Blue. I treat it the same way I treated the experience of being in a rock band. When I was in a rock band for like eight years in Michigan, we, we did pretty good for ourselves. And the formula was I would write music. I would write a song and, you know, sitting at home, whatever, come up with crap. And it would not be fully formed 90% of the time. I'd bring it to, it was also a trio back then too. It was, I was singing and playing guitar and I would bring it to my bassist and my drummer and I would, you know, say to the drummer, hey, I have this beat in my, and the bass player, I'd say, hey, play this. And then 
always what would happen is they would start to alter things and add in their little technical things that I couldn't have thought of or couldn't have performed. And so then it's no longer my, my work. I mean, they'll say Frank wrote the song or Frank wrote this piece, but every single piece I've ever written has been that, that has been really, really well received and gone really well with audiences um, pretty consistently has to do with playing with other people and having that in mind when I am by myself. So, so back to the original part of this question, the process for my best pieces of music is having some sort of idea that is, you know, as all ideas are, they're just um, strange conglomerations of everything you've experienced and listened to. And, you know, something comes out and I, I, I write it down I make some parts, I bring it to the trio and I say, Hey, I have this cool idea. Let's try it out. And then Nathan, the trombone player says, Hey, what if we do this? And Rachel, the pianist says, what if we do this? Um, So my process changes for every piece, but I think the best process I've come up with is not relying on myself wholly. Um, I know that's so vague, but yeah. No. That's that, a- <laughs> the thing that I have been initially worried with doing this podcast is trying to cherry pick only composers that sort of fit a, a neat mold of music that very plainly evokes a particular scene within nature or hmm. or some type of... Um, of uh you know environmental some sort of easily acknowledgeable iron environmental yeah uh, angle are you breaking up with me i'm sorry are you breaking up with me <laughs> no <laughs> sorry no no no. it was it, it was funnier in my head because it sounded like there was a so so i'm gonna have to let you go coming after what you're just saying <laughs> just no. go ahead go ahead the the, the, the the reason for mentioning is that is because as I've been reflecting on it, I realized that, that, you know, everything we've been talking about so far is, you know, mm-hmm. from, from, you know, where, where we're born and how we're raised, mm. you know, not only is it the, the connection to, to nature, or whatever form that may take, but also, you, mm-hmm. know, the, you know, the privilege and the education and our parents and mm-hmm. all of these things, they're all, I mean, it's all nature versus nurture. And so, mm-hmm right there's there's a lot of overlap but there's also a lot of instances in which the the um i guess nature with a capital n is not as easily accessible with people's work even though it exists in there yeah Um, that's a great point thank you um you you should go to grad school for music or something (laughs) well maybe one day um (laughs) But I, but I mean, so you're mentioning, you know, the, the band, I think most of us who pursue music um, in whatever capacity professionally, uh, and even more of us beyond, beyond those who study music, a lot of people have been involved in, in rock bands mm-hmm. uh, or jazz bands or, or what have you in, in school or, or on the side. And yeah. such a great, and even marching band, you know, I am not the biggest mm advocate for the marching arts but i 
I will say that that activity, much like any other of these musical activities, you know, teaches communication, responsibility, hmm. and organization more than like anything else. That yeah, absolutely. Take, you know, wherever you go into the future and be, you know, highly successful um, mm-hmm. in that in that field of work by having this sort of um, extra different mindset, for lack yeah. of a better word, but. I only bring this up to say that like, this is probably the biggest thing that I struggle with in terms of sculpting a, I mean, I'm not necessarily looking for a successful podcast, but for something that doesn't sound brutally amateur. Um, sure. Sure. Or totally just, or totally off the mark in terms of, uh, in terms of its, its scope and its vision. Um, yeah. Well, I think, I think, um part of the challenge is exactly what you were referring to earlier there's people like i i don't come from the type of background ben comes from i i don't i think i've seen a mountain once Mm -hmm. i've seen i think i've seen one mountain like a big one not not like a hill like i'm i think i've seen one mountain in my whole life um i could be wrong about that because i i went with my wife's family to uh, Montana once and I, I might have seen more than one mountain on my way there but um, you know my my relationship with nature has more to do with the people around me um, rather than the the non-human parts of nature because I mean I'm in this I'm in a house right now uh, there's a concrete road in front of me there's grass in my lawn this is all nature this is our nest um there's nature doesn't mean a mountain nature means everything around us it's just there there seems to be you know there's reactionaries out there and right wingers who are like xyz isn't natural you know (laughs) you fill in the blank you know you know what i'm talking about well those same people probably aren't against flying on a plane What's natural about flying on a plane? I mean, I could argue that it's just as natural as um, anything that those type of people would rail against because humans created planes to, to help them travel. <laughs> I mean, it's like, do, do we go up to a, a dam that a beaver made and like yell at them and be like, this isn't natural? No, that's totally natural because it's made of wood and a little cute animal did it. So that's nature. But so for me, my growing up in a city with even with all the water i mean when i think about my childhood I th- it's concrete that's nature for me um we it's it's shaped mountains so it's it's not the kind of mountain you see on a screensaver it's the kind of mountain that humans collectively tore down and made into roads and all these other things so it is really hard to nail down like John Luther Adams, nature means one thing to him and it means one thing to me, but it's all nature. And I think that that might be the main idea behind this, this project is, is understanding how, I guess, nature is defined by everybody mm. and how then they use their musical voice to mm-hmm. to um 
amplify that. Yeah. Um, but since we're talking about planes and and uh, <laughs> and mountains, which are which are highly polluting objects, by the way, they are. And, and <laughs> we might talk about this this later. But I have, you know, in the wake of in the wake of COVID, I've thought about how it's really nice that you know the dramatic decrease in air pollution from planes mm-hmm. and cars has has started to sort of you know repair parts of the ozone mm-hmm. yeah but at the same time i think you know spare a thought for all of this single-use plastic that has uh inevitably been inevitably been, been forced into the into the ecosystem now mm-hmm. um which you know the the massive you know pileups of of such things create its own pollution in a way mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and so it's like you know we're get we're getting there um <laughs> but um shooting there was another thing that i was going on about i can't remember um something where you're you said something about planes and you're like on that note mm. well so I, yeah i wanted to talk about i wanted to talk about you i've noticed you've you've been able to travel extensively both in and out of the united states um and despite maybe only ever seeing one mountain, um, <laughs> it's probably more than that, but it, it, I haven't seen many, <laughs> uh, through your travels, have you gotten, uh, the chances to explore some of these places? Um, yeah, to, to some degree, um, I, uh, the, the most vivid things that come to mind are when I traveled to Finland, um, to present at the fifth international, um, minimalist conference. I, I forget what the exact name of the, the conference is, but it's, there's a, you know, due paying society for minimalist music. And I presented there four or five years ago. And, um, I think about that so much because it, it's funny. I think about it because it reminds me so much of Michigan. Finland does. Um, like as we, and that was the first time I flew when I flew to Finland, that was the first time I ever was on a plane. And it was so amazing. First of all, cause it was like, Oh, holy shit. I'm so close to space. This is amazing. And then as we came down, like we were flying over Finland and I see all these lakes and, it was i was like wow this reminds me of michigan and the just seeing the landscape and how sort of desolate yet alive with with water it seemed to be um stuck with me because a lot of the people who were either from finland or talking about finnish music whether that be finnish black metal or finnish minimalism um they they always brought up the landscape as something that influenced the the sort of long drawn out repetitive cold nature of of some of this music and so i think that's why it stuck with me because of because of the way the people talking about finnish music um the way they framed the situation. Um, so that was amazing to be able to see a completely alien landscape that, 
at reminded me of my home that was framed by people who knew it but much better than I did in musical terms. Um, so that I think that's that's the main reason that that sticks out with me. I mean, other I've never been out of um, North America except for that trip. I've been to Canada several times because I grew up in Michigan. It's it's that's a fine line between Michigan and Canada, um, and. So that that's the biggest one that sticks out. I mean, I love taking road trips. Um, and so get, getting to travel with my trio, specifically Nebular Blue, um, you know, going to South Dakota, going to um, other parts of Kansas, and just taking those long drives with friends and um, seeing America, which is a very empty country, has been really fun. Um, yeah has really influenced me seems to reflect industry more than nature. And I think my music does as well because I mean, Lamb of Light, even I wrote the first half of that piece entirely with a looper pedal, um, which one does not associate with nature, but would rather associate with um, the machinations of a factory um, where there's, and this is how I think about, um, pulse minimalism and post minimalism like um, Mark Mellitz and Julia Wolf and David Lang and, and all those people and the older ones, you know, Steve Reich and whatnot. I think about their music as having what, what their music reflects is gears. You have all these different sized gears that interlock and create a machine. And that is the piece of music. Whereas, um, um, become ocean or even um, there's a piece for seven bassoons or something like that by Michael Gordon. There's pieces like that, that do seem to consciously try to reflect nature, but depending on and, and the only reason they don't evoke the same uh, mechanical nature is because there's not as much pulsating to it. There's not the polyrhythms that you get in my music or in Julia Wolf's music um, but, but like I was saying earlier, I mean, it's still nature, right? We're creating it. We're not, we're not from another dimension where the, the concept of nature is flipped around. We are, we are nature. And so everything we create is natural. So, I mean, um, I've, like I said before, I've, I've created music that I was thinking about natural phenomena or commenting on climate change. Um, and so I used that as like a driving force behind the decisions I was making, but in particular with something like Lamb of Light and any other piece I've written like that, um, it is not conscious. Um, and, and when I listen back, I don't get these natural images evoked again, natural in quotes, because I use I use nature in the same way everybody does, even though I'm shitting on that that idea right now by saying, you know, we are nature and machines are nature because we created them. But um but yeah, I hope that I hope that answers your question. Does that make sense? It does. And I mean, even if the even if the sort of natural element isn't as um obvious, mm -hmm. your your desire to create music that draws attention to important social issues. Sorry, that particular quote was like 
completely lifted from your bio, but but you do make an effort to to do that. And climate change is is one of many different social issues mm-hmm. that we grapple with today. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering with the desire to have a sort of mechanical sound, is it to is it meant to bring light to the potential devastation or of the potential, you know, opportunities that these, um, that this sort of, you know, quote unquote industry or industries, plural, um, Mm -hmm. what they offer. Um, I'm not trying in any way to draw attention to, um, a mechanical nature of, of anything, honestly, because I, I, I don't know. Let, and I said this before, I think that in the past few years, I've been really, I think it's been a good thing that I've been trying to understand why I like the music I like and why I write the music I write. And I think that part of the reason I'm drawn to what I'm drawn to has to do with mostly with the people that I've been surrounded by, but also with my surroundings for sure. And my surroundings have been, cities you know i i grew up literally 50 feet from a highway the first five years of my life i I lived across the street from a highway um so that could certainly i mean you know maybe that australian guy if if i die or something tomorrow will write a paper about how those sounds of a highway influenced my music and and i i don't i couldn't deny that now or or ever but um no i don't so, so you asked um, what I'm trying to evoke with the the mechanical nature of some of my pieces, and I'm not trying. So, I, I can't quite answer the question because I'm not trying to make the the pieces sound that way. Um, I write things like that, and I like the way they sound. And we can dig into you know theories, like I said before, about why that may be. But um, I think. I, I, I do try to write music that I don't, I try to be conscious about who I'm serving. If I write a piece of music and I want to be conscious about who it might serve um, beyond the room I'm in when I'm writing it. Um, and that's, that's the main thing. Um, yeah. I know that sort of dodges the question. No, I think it I think it opens the avenue for another another avenue which is so in this in this scenario like who who are who are you serving in this um pro- right now just me just mm-hmm. trying to get paid man <laughs> um but but I, what what I mean when I say I think about who I serve there there's this great book um I don't agree with everything in it but it definitely i think is is beyond a must read for any musician who cares about other humans and humanity in general it's called uh stockhausen serves imperialism and it's by um cornelius cardew um whose music i don't really like i don't like his music that much but he seems like a pretty interesting person um and reading that book and I, I was I was thinking about this before reading the book, this but this really made me slow down and think about what 
my art is doing um, because, you know, he points out, he, he takes specific examples of music by Cage and Stockhausen primarily and says, you know, look, what, what are these? He lays out in a pretty intelligent way um, how these pieces are not serving the people who will change the world. Um, it's not serving working people. Um, it is not serving homeless people, poor people. It is, it's serving, um, and at best a very individualist agenda, but you'd have to read the book for yourself. And I'm not saying that to you. I'm saying that to any potential listeners. Um, but I'm definitely happy to expand on that. Um, but uh, I guess, hold on, let me, let me answer your question. So my question or my answer to your question is this. Um, I don't think consciously every time I, I make a, um, a sound about, Hmm, is this going to serve the interests of working people? Um, I, I wish I did do that, but when, when I'm writing something that I know people are going to hear, if it's a commission, if it's um, an album of um, a, a popular style, I do think about the words that I write and the, the, the sounds that I make because I want to, and this is part of my, really my manifesto of how I approach writing music. I want to write music that anybody can, can, listen to without being made to feel uncomfortable by the sounds, but has challenging elements in it, whether that be the sounds or the words so that um, I can use that contradiction to be creative. So what I mean by that is um, using sounds that people can latch onto versus challenging them and taking that contradiction and creating some sort of energy from that so that in theory at least i'm 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 getting into people's heads i'm saying something with the sounds i'm making um that will be heard and not ignored um that being said who the hell listens to my music i don't know so well, I think this this transitions nicely into a conversation about this piece that you're writing uh, for for me and this uh, sort of Earth Day themed festival that I've had in my head for a long time. Mm -hmm. Had COVID nineteen not huh. <laughs> struck when it did, we yeah. would be we all the performance already would have happened. Right, right. But now I think we are planning to to present this. Earth Day 2021, but I'd like for you to talk to us about, I say us as if there's going to be anyone listening to this, but um, do you mind talking about the, the sort of project that we've been working on, the, the piece and its, its uh, mm -hmm. conception? Yeah, so um, when you approached me to do this, I was super excited, and, and I got to say, um, the, the work that you put into getting a venue that was outside of an academic setting and um, the thought you put into it was, was really impressive. And I, I appreciate that. Um, so 
when you asked me to write a piece that's, I, I forget how you framed it, but essentially it was like celebrating Earth. And um, so inevitably, it's going to be something political because it's me and I just, I'm that guy sometimes. Um, not always, but sometimes. Well, well so, that's part of the reason why, you know, why I reached out. Because uh, hmm. I knew that, you know, you have a, a, a strong political mind that, you know, may or may not come across as either you know, controversial or whatever, but it, it, it mm-hmm. would at least, I knew you would do something that it was pretty, um, you know, direct in its, in its, um, so what I'm thinking of in its presentation. Yeah. And, and direct is, is a great word to use because so, so that gets into how I decided to approach the piece because pretty much every, because cause my, my immediate thought was, you know, how can I write a piece of music that speaks to the, the, the problem of climate change um, as a global or as a social issue? And you've said that before. I think you've said that today on the show. You've said social issue, climate changes and social. I mean, what does social mean? So social means, you know, human interaction. It, it has to do with people. Um, and so I was thinking about how can I present something that comments on climate change? Well, it's about people. And in general, and th- this is sort of anecdotal, I could sort of back it up um, <laughs> if I needed to, if you gave me a few minutes. But the prevailing, the, the prevailing things that are put forward to be the solutions to climate change are all from the right. There are no solutions in the popular consciousness. Um, That's changed a little bit um, with AOC and Bernie to some degree, Um, but there's really no major seemingly um, what's the practical solutions to climate change that don't come from the right. And here's what I mean by that. It's either a complete denial or it is individualized. So my frustration with that led me to think, well, you know, the people who are causing climate change, it ain't me. It ain't Luke. It ain't Ben. It ain't the people working at the grocery store I go to. It ain't the people working at the gas station I go to. They're pumping the gas right? They're driving the cars. We're driving the cars to work, but we have to, because if we don't, we'll die of starvation. Our families won't get fed. Our dogs won't get fed. Our cats will die. So I was like, how can I come from the left with this idea? Because like I said, it's, it's coming from the right to individualize it and to ignore it. So from the left, we say, the people who own the means of production can change this and only them. So I wanted to call those people out. So I looked up a list of, and I think it was um, MIT made a list of the hundred companies that were causing the most pollution. And I, I wrote lyrics, um, that used in 
in ways that will hopefully not result in lawsuits um, that used names of these companies um, to say that, listen, this is not fake to the deniers. It's not fake. It's pretty damn clear that this isn't fake. And to those who individualize it, it's pretty clear that you're serving the same people who are served by saying it's fake. So let's just call them out and, and let's say they have names, you know, here, and that's the name of the piece, right? They have names and there are, there are people, very few people, very, very few people who run, who run companies that are contributing the most to climate change. And I don't shit on anybody who does the, the little things they can do. Um, I hope everybody recycles. I hope everybody uses, you know, wooden things or wooden byproducts rather than plastic when they can. I, I, I should be better about that. We could all be better about it. But um, that was the main motivating force. Now, as far as the music itself goes, beyond the lyrics that um, we're sort of talking, singing through some of them, it's, it's pretty simple um, stuff. But beyond the the lyrics, the music itself, like I said before, there's there's nothing in particular I'm thinking about. How can I reflect climate change with this C four or this B seven or this this uh, you know A major chord <laughs> um, or this zero one four trichord? I I I don't think you can really do that with such um, individual parts. But it, but my point is. Um, I have the, the, the ideas in my head as I'm writing the music and with the lyrics. And that's the other thing too. I, I, I like using words. I like using lyrics because that is how humans communicate. I mean, we communicate through music, but if I put words in there, you're going to know what I mean. You're not going to go away from that, you know, wondering, is he denying climate change? Is he saying that I should use metal straws instead of plastic ones? What's he saying? I'm going to tell you what I'm saying because I'm going to say it. <laughs> um, so, th- so that's how um, I came to write what I'm writing, how I'm writing it. Um, and again, I just really appreciate the opportunity and, and how you put everything together so, um, so carefully and so consciously. So I'm excited to hopefully be able to do this again in about a year to, to actually get the, the piece to, out to the world. Thank you, Frank, for coming out or for joining me on Zoom for this. (laughs) You're welcome. Thanks for having me. It was a great time.